0: Hey, welcome into Tuesday's R for Talking. This is Nathan, and I'm glad that you've joined us. This is a very special episode, and I've got another guest host with me today. That is none other than your lead pastor and mine, Morgan Stevens. We're so glad to have Morgan on the podcast today. Morgan is going to be interviewing Pastor Ron Lewis. Ron leads Kings Park International Church in Durham, North Carolina, and also Every Nation Church in New York City, where they of course have been on the front lines of battling COVID, as well as many other crises that have affected the New York area. Ron has a ton of international ministry going on as well. I can't wait to get into the conversation and hear all about it. Here we go. Man, I'm really excited for this podcast. This is one that we have definitely been looking forward to. And today I have a special co-host, and that is your lead pastor and mine, Morgan Stevens. How are you doing today, Morgan?
1: Hi, everybody. Great to be with you, Nathan, and our audience today.
0: Well, we are glad that you're here to, to help with the conversation and interview with Ron Lewis. And as you heard in the intro, Ron is a pastor of a couple of churches. He's got a real interesting story, and that's part of what we're going to talk about today. Ron, how are you, man? Thanks for joining us today.
2: Man, I appreciate it. It's always good to be with my cool breeze friends from Austin, Texas.
0: <laughs> I wish there was a cool breeze outside right now. It's only been about 180 degrees every single day. So, um, <laughs> send send some cool breeze our way from New York City if you get a chance. We'd sure appreciate it. <laughs> sure thing. Well, Ron, if you would just tell us a little bit more about yourself, your family, some some of the ministry that you're involved in. We'd just like to get to know you a little bit here.
2: I appreciate that. Um, and it's great to be with my friend Morgan. We go back uh, for decades now, and I've always really marveled at, at who you are, Pastor Morgan, and your giftedness and your great family. I grew up in the South and was born in Atlanta. My father was, uh, it was in a Jewish family, very secular Jewish family, which means that we ate everything on the menu and then some, we were not kosher, we yeah, we had a lot of ham and shrimp and all that kind of stuff as uh, secular Jews would would be. But we did check in with synagogue, certainly on Passover and Hanukkah. So we <laughs> Passover Hanukkah only instead of the CEO traditional Christian model, uh, Christmas Easter only. So we were like that. But we had some some decent education in, in Hebrew and the Bible and a little bit there but then my parents divorced when i was oh about 10 or 11 years old and when that happened my mother decided to go completely secular we checked out of uh, all religion and we're just sort of a family in the south who was an anomaly we never had a christmas tree up for many years and then as things got older a little bit all of a sudden there's a christmas tree shows up and my older brother and my mother start checking out a church in the neighborhood and I knew something was up, but I was partying so hard that I didn't really pay attention to what they were doing. And the Baptist lady up the street brought me a Bible, and when she brought me a Bible, I didn't know what to do with it. But the miracle came when I was 18, and I was going off as a freshman in college, and I actually was sitting in my dorm room all alone, and I had that Bible with me because my mother told me to take it. She said, you might need this for a literature class. And that was a good move because I immediately thought I could save 10 or 20 bucks. So I pulled that Bible out, sitting alone. And I kid you not, it was the first time I opened it and a note fell out from the sweet Baptist lady up the street. She wrote me a kind note, a $5 bill came out. I started looking through more pages, wondering if there's a 10 or 20 in here somewhere. (laughs) And there wasn't. But I I looked in the table of contents and secular Jew who had not really ever read hardly any of the Bible, I start seeing the names of these different books, but I find my brother's name and it was Mark. And so I was intrigued and I read the Gospel of Mark. And about seven or eight days later, it was like Jesus just walked in on that dorm room, saved me. And I gave my life fully to him. And I believed that he was Messiah. I believed he was the son of God. And my heart and my life were just unbelievably changed from that moment onward. So um, then, then years later, um, baptized in water. Baptized in the Holy Spirit, the trajectory is changing quickly. God calls me into ministry, and um, I do a lot of crazy things when I'm young. I got married young. I got, uh, I had four sons, and that was in my first marriage. Fast forward uh, twenty years later, I go through a horrendous divorce and uh, started church in Manhattan, and that was not all. This is just. A quick moving overview of my journey there but um it was uh, the toughest year of my life just post 9 11 everything was going south i i felt like i lost everything I, I i lost my marriage i lost my career i was ready to just go be a restaurateur i was ready to be a businessman anything but in the ministry and one morning at 4.17 a.m., I was felt like I was literally drug out of bed. And it was Jesus just standing there, although I didn't see him. I knew that it was the Lord. And he said, "I've, I, you have heard the voice of others about New York. Now, I want you to know I am calling you to go to New York. So I went to New York, started the church, met Lynette, and it was just unbelievable. Um, that wasn't immediate, but it was fairly quickly after this horrendous divorce that i never wanted never asked for never even saw coming i was blindsided by the whole thing and uh, lynette and i uh, met and and then we built a relationship friendship and ultimately marriage and then god in his goodness uh years later gave us twin girls through an adoption a miraculous adoption story uh, lynette was not able to have children and it's there's a little bit a lot more to this than all this. But then all of a sudden I went from four sons to now two daughters. And and I and in the words of, of Pastor Gabe Bouch, my friend in Philly, our colleague, in his words, he, he said, you had an incredible comeback. How did you, you, you were stuck at four for 20 years. And then all of a sudden you have six. And uh, that family story, uh, Nathan is in the ministry with me in New York City. Christian is in a startup tech company in Denver. John Luke's in the music industry in Nashville, Tennessee. They're all married. And then my son, Jordan, is with Jesus in heaven. He got married, passed away nine and a half months later, and uh, he's with the Lord now. That's a whole different story. But, uh, you know, my journey has been a lot of ups, a lot of downs, um, a lot of Jesus moments, a lot of dumb mistakes, and, and yet God is still with me.
1: Well, that's all fascinating. And so for our audience there, you can hear, I mean, Pastor Ron has lived a full life. It's hard to believe he's only 32 years old,
0: <laughs> all
1: he's packed in at 32 years. So um, the, yet to come, as they say, but uh, as you can hear there, sort of in the scope of that that life in that overview, there's a number of kind of talking points and stories I'd like to draw that I think would be a real benefit for everybody listening today. And that's just to hear, uh, uh, you know, again, you mentioned your conversion, North Carolina, New York, you know, kind of family, Jordan. I know there's a whole lot there that he, he, he did uh, before he went to be with Jesus that you're sort of now carrying on. And so we want to talk about a number of those things at different points today. But let's, let's start just back a little bit with the, with the anti-Semitic thing. Is that, that, that that's happening in our world? It's a real deal. How do you guys sort of face that, address that? What's your perspective on that in New York?
2: Well, that's a great that's a great question, and to be honest, we don't really talk about it too much. I mean, right now, the historic first, the original sin of of America was not anti semitism. It was obviously it was our blunder and horrendous story of slavery, and so th- this is that's sort of taken the space now. Just a couple of years ago, with the shooting of the jewish people in the synagogue in pittsburgh that sort of brought the that issue to the forefront for me as well and it caused it brought about some good dialogue in in particular in new york city now my sense of being a jew was was jaded because of the story that i just shared i was sort of made to feel shameful about that. Being a Jew in the South would be the equivalent of being a minority. Now, it was a religious minority, not um, obviously uh, not a pigmentation minority, but but it being in New York has brought me to a closer realization of who I am and how I was raised and how I was brought up and my eth- ethnicity, if you will, my religious ethnicity. So I was definitely brought up in a Jewish family. I remember the uh, the seven day or the six day war in Israel. I remember my father. I was just a little kid, and I remember my father's reaction of him screaming out uh, obscenities and profanities and talking about getting on a plane and going over there and fighting. I didn't even have a concept for what is going on. But you begin to, you know, as you mature and you begin to go to Israel and and Get into the history of it, you realize that Israel has is been a hated nation. It's been a persecuted nation, um, and a lot of opposition. So why is that? Uh, there, I think there are reasons. Uh, God called and chose the Jewish people first and foremostly to be a nation that carried the law, that carried the seed of the Messiah. Uh, if I was the devil, I would hate that part of it. You know. And uh, it was through the Jews that we got basically everything that we are as Christians. We got the Bible through the Jews. Uh, we got Peter, Paul, and Mary <laughs> through the uh-huh. Jews. <laughs> we got you know the prophets, the apostles, the covenants, the promises. Uh, that is, uh, as Paul called in Romans nine, ten, and eleven, the the root, uh, and we're, we today are the beneficiary through the fruit and the branches. So there's a lot of reasons. For there to be uh, to be hatred now i am not one who to who defends everything that israel does uh certainly not one who defends everything america does i'm i'm a realist when it comes to every nation has their flaws except for one nation and that is the nation of the king god's kingdom that's in heaven that's universal and in heaven uh that even the expressions of god's kingdom on earth aren't always perfect because it involves people but god is perfect And we looked at him. But this is his plan to choose the Jewish people. I I have been one to sort of uh, a bridge for Jews and Christians. And I never got involved in that until I was in New York City. I realized that that's a gap that we as believers, as Christians, need to fill. I remember the time that we invited a very famous uh, New York City businessman named George Blumenthal. He's had a seat on the New York Stock Exchange, like a... In perpetuity, he's uh, a well-loved businessman, and and he has this he has this thing for archaeology in Israel that basically proves that the Bible is the word of God that, that it's not a fairy tale story. There's an entire museum that is named after him, um, and it's all on the on the scrolls of Isaiah, the Dead Sea Scrolls, which uh, is the greatest archaeological discovery in history. It's unbelievable that how it points to the reality, the, vera- uh, the the veracity of Scripture being the Word of God, that it's withstood time and test and wars and all this. The Word of God is still the Word of God, historically, archaeologically. So um, my role in New York City is to be a bridge and to unite Christians for Israel, to let them know that in their journey, the Jews are not alone. And on our watch, never again will there be another Holocaust. So that's uh, a little bit just a little bit of that and what it's been like for me.
1: Amen to that. It's, it's, um, thank you for that. Uh, super insightful. And it is interesting to hear, again, how God, God in sovereignty just sort of reconnected you with your roots that way, you know, uh, in New York City after all that time. Um, what, what, what a real gift. So thank you for being a bridge builder uh, doing that ministry of reconciliation. So let's flash, flash forward a bit in your story, sort of a different talking point here now. Um, so you, I love the story. God meets you in your dorm room. You know, you came to Christ on university campus. Um, I came to Christ university campus, not in my dorm room, but in the, the 80 Bruce religion chapel, uh, on the university of Houston campus right there in the third ward of Houston. And, uh, God met me there. Same thing too. Just miraculous, divine power encounter, if you will. Um, and so, uh, so I'd love to hear about sort of your journey from that, that moment, like into, again, how did you get into uh, really starting planning a multi-ethnic congregation? Obviously, uh, you have, you're basically you're not just a parent of biological you know, twins uh, or human twins, but also sort of church twins. You got a multi-ethnic congregation there in, in Durham, North Carolina. Wow, what a in the South. And then, of course, one in New York City, very different places, very different sort of political shapes as well. Um, so how, so how did you first get into pastoring that multi-edit congregation, Kings Park Church in, 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 North Carolina?
2: Sure. And Morgan, you and I have that in common. And it's something that has really, I think, led us to be kindred in spirit is that we both love the campus. We love students. We love campus ministry because that's where it proverbially went down for me was on the campus. It was UNC Chapel Hill. It was, um. Uh, just uh, right during the michael jordan era and everyone was flipping out over him and going crazy over him for all the right reasons Uh, but something was happening to me that was uh, really contrary to everything else going on on campus then as i was getting um, having being regularly encountered by jesus by god Reading my Bible, and anytime that my dorm would empty for a football game or a basketball game, remember what that was like in the dorm? Mm-hmm. Now you play baseball. Mm-hmm. So, but when the big game is out there, everyone leaves, but I would stay back. Now, I don't even, I really don't even ever talk about this, but I would stay back in my dorm because it was about the only time I could have an authentic, quiet time with Jesus in my dorm without distraction. So, God was really getting a hold of me. And there was this one season where, when I say season, I mean like a month of time when I would just really be so into the Word of God, in, into the Bible. And in that particular month, it's like every time I opened it up, it would say something about preaching, whether it was the disciples went out and preached or, or, Paul, somebody opened their mouth and began to proclaim the gospel or Peter preached or Jeremiah said, the fire is burning in my bones. So that those scriptures were coming to me and it was there that I began to get a glimpse that, that I wasn't called to go to graduate school in psychology. I was really called to give myself to the gospel. Simultaneously in that season, I met a man who's not a stranger to most of us named Rice Brooks. And he came through camp, our campus, for about a week or two weeks, baptized a lot of people, and I was one of those college students who got baptized, and um, and and that was a game changer for me because uh, when I was water baptized, um, it was just such a, a ongoing, powerful encounter where I really truly felt that sin was being buried and. And I now had was faced with not with bondage, but choices I was no longer a slave to sin. That was sort of the my new mindset. I'm not a slave to sin. I'm a slave to righteousness. I'm a slave to the Son of God. I belong to him. And he set me free, because there was really a, a not just a, a mental, psychological transformation, but th- something actually changed in me in that season. And it a lot of it had to do with association association with Christ in baptism. That I I truly went under and buried was buried and I truly resurrected. And I was walking, as Romans 6, 6 says, in the newness of life. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even sure who's listening to this right now, but that might be your next step, someone who's like really pondering, like, where do I go from here? Mm-hmm. And it could be that water baptism is not a religious. It's not just something that if your parents uh, baptized you as a baby, that was their choice, not your choice. You had (laughs) nothing to do with that. So I think that there is a choice in life and a choice to follow Jesus. So that was my beginning of the ministry. And it wasn't long thereafter that um, I started a Bible study in my dorm and it grew and it got out of the dorm room and it got into the basement. Where there was a large meeting area and then next thing you know that was sort of the launching the beginning of uh my ministry and very tied in with um with, in the early days with pastor rice and it uh it grew and then we got off went off campus and then that's when about that time that was 1990 it was like that was when we really sort of launched, although the church had officially started. It it also had ended, but then relaunched when we went off campus. And it was in that season, 1990, 1991, this 30 years ago that I really started coming to grips with, uh, the stories of the black Americans, African Americans in my young congregation. And I began to realize that each and every one of them have a story and not a good story. But they're a harsh story, a hard story. And I remember watching the movie Glory about the blacks during the Civil War. And I remember watching this scene where this is when Denzel became Denzel. I mean, every before that, I don't know who Denzel Washington was, but after that, he's this famous, incredible actor. He's one of the soldiers, and they're they're whipping him and they're beating him, and basically enslaved, enslaved. Crime. And I'm like, I'm through this movie and I'm breaking like, what is wrong with me? What is going on? And I had to go back again, second and third time and continue to cry, cry, cry. And it was that for the first time I was identifying with the family stories that on my father's side, everyone except my grandfather, who came over from Poland, they were all killed in Auschwitz or the Warsaw Ghetto. And I was identifying with that. And then I was identifying with the black story and the black journey, how much pain there is. And it was through that season that God really put on my heart to have hard and yet important conversations with black Americans and young black people. And that I think was the the seedbed for church beginning to not only welcome, but listen. And, and then next thing, you know, I've got so many, um, black spiritual sons who I'm so proud of, and I love them so much. And many of them have become our pastors and our leaders. And and it's not to the exclusion of people from other ethnicities or nations either, as you know, and your church is very, very much the same, if not even more. But I think our latest count at Kings Park, there were 75 or so ethnicities. And, and you get to the place where blacks and whites are married and and there's an element of it that it's not a big deal. And I'm not talking about being colorblind. Of course, we, we all know better than that. But there's there's that blending of the nations right there before our eyes. And, and so our church became known for that. And it's written up in magazines. And I'll never forget the time that a New York, a New York journalist was in our congregation. And she had been there for three straight Sundays. And she met with me after and she said, I'm going to do a full page, front page article, a full article and a front page article on your church. And she was with the Raleigh news and observer. And I was like, scared. I thought, Oh no, what did we do? Is she, is, is this a bad article? Is, is she upset? And the reality was, is just the opposite. She said, I've, I've been to all these churches and I've never seen one so diverse. And she said, I want, I want to do it on Pentecost Sunday. I want to, she's a Jewish Columbia university journalist, well-known on the AP and nationally well-known. And so they wrote that article and that was in the late, uh, like 08 around there. Oh nine, whenever it was. And, and it did make the front news. And, and for me, it was, uh, it meant a lot because, you know, a lot goes into becoming multi-ethnic it's intentional. It's deliberate. You're things that everybody sacrifices. My black friends were sacrificing, like they would use expressions like I had to sit out in the parking lot until I could get on my praise <laughs> and be able to come in. And then, and then there was, there were, there were other, there were so many tensions involved in this. And so when someone recognizes what you've been through to get to that place, it was deeply meaningful. And it's not to say we're perfect. And I'm still, I'm still finding out how far, how far short I'm falling, especially with the new vocabulary and the new sort of boundaries and and the new discussions. But if we can just see one another's hearts in the matter, that we care, that we're there, then that makes all the difference. And so that's a little bit of the King's Park story. And the, the funny part of it is how God puts a DNA in your church. And and the hilarious thing is that I would go and visit our churches that we started from people in our church. Oftentimes would just <clears throat> go to the Ukraine or go to Scotland or go to Korea, Taiwan, wherever, China. They start churches in these different nations. And I have yet to find one of our church plant that's not diverse in, in how it looks and feels. I've not found one they all are and the new york city church is very much like that it's it's a lot easier because it's new york and you're going to get that diversity but when you go visit the churches in new york they have a tendency towards either being asian white or black and that's the tendency but there are many exceptions and great exceptions like times square church and many other great churches in new york city so that's that element of of my journey pastor morgan does that make any sense
1: No, it's fantastic. Uh, I love hearing all of that. And I just I just of course agree like to be multi ethnic is a couple of things. I do think like what you mentioned, that the DNA bit is is pretty crucial. People come all the time, like, man, I Jose looks great. And I'm like, Well, don't look over there. Like don't you know, don't open that door and in that closet there's a skeleton over there and a problem over there and a challenge over there. Sort of compared to like a nice race car, like the Ferrari, it looks all nice. And you gotta get under the hood, and it's like, oh man, it's real messy, and there's oil leaking and drippy stuff. And so, um, it's a real, it's a challenge, you know, to to relate and to keep on relating, which is probably why Jesus tells us to love one another. But I'm just guessing. But I think the DNA bit is crucial because if you don't start out with that, it's really hard to change later on and to reconnect. And so, again, it's no surprise that the number of churches you plant around the world they carry that DNA. Um, and again, it's just because I, you know, just quick for our audience, like, this is a big deal for me. We, we teach, preach, talk this, it really begins in the heart of God, right? I mean, uh, the God we serve is, yes. this is sort of course, a teaching point inherently yes. diverse, Father, Son, Spirit, one God, we're one God, we're, we're one body of Christ, but there's many members, many parts, as Paul said. That's because we're reflecting at that level in a, in a sort of universal spiritual sense, the, the diversity of the Godhead, Father, Son, Spirit. So it's a big deal. So one god we're one body but we we ought to reflect where possible um King university so dna bit's important uh but then of course now now moving them back to you for a second so you carry that into new york Um uh, just for our audience a couple quick things He mentioned dr rice brooks rice is a co-founder of every nation churches and ministries uh, of which our congregation mosaic is a part your your churches are and rice is a clear apostolic call like yourself to start stuff plant stuff and so no surprise 9 happens that goes down. Every nation at that point does not have a congregation in New York to respond. Rice Brooks, as always, gets on a plane, back when you get on planes. I guess maybe he still got on planes, I don't know. But he goes in there, yeah. he meets people, he's at ground zero. He's talking to people, praying for people, leading people to Christ. This congregation forms around what the Holy Spirit does through him. And then, of course, like a good apostle, he's like, who can take this? You know, I sort of started this thing looking for someone to parent it. It comes to you. God comes to you. You're already doing what you're doing in North Carolina, and you pick up this congregation in New York. As the story goes, you know, they meet at the Lambs Theater, a historic theater for many years. Um, I know you guys aren't there anymore, but it's grown. For our conversation today, just with that context for people, just respond in a moment and talk to what it's been like specifically for you guys during COVID. Because again, in New York, it's crisis after crisis, and now, of course, being the epicenter of COVID. Talk about how COVID affected your church, some of the loss, some of the gains, all the tragedy, all that.
2: Yeah, so COVID has just been—I mean—traumatic. It's—it has been. Let me just not sugarcoat it. It's been tough. Uh, the The actual disease itself, the virus, has uh, affected us a lot more than we would have thought. You know, you know, you first hear about it, it's like the flu, bad case of the flu, and then all of a sudden, you have your doctors. We had. We had to kind of count them up. We had like, I think the, the number was 59 of our either members or key attendees, regular attendees are either doctors or nurses or medical technicians. And so that's a lot of people. And, and as I started calling and saying, how you doing, I would hear the war stories. They would describe it as a war zone. Several unconnected nurses, doctors would use the word war zone and they were dealing with the, the triage and the trauma and the people coming in, they can't breathe. And isn't it interesting that our, our nation has been hit by a disease where you can't breathe. And then of course the George Floyd, I can't breathe. I mean, this is where we are today. It's like, we need to be revitalized in the Holy Spirit so we can breathe. Well, the, the disease came and and then when I was talking to the doctors, they were telling me these horrible stories. I began to, once again, deal their pain and say, Lord, what can we do? And we began to find out that several of them did not have sufficient PPE, personal protection equipment. They didn't have it, they didn't have proper masks. We had uh, a friend of mine who's a surgeon said, I wore the same mask for a week. He said, normally we go through 40 per day. And he said, I'm using one for the whole week. So we got engaged. All of a sudden we were in the mask business, (laughs) which is, uh, I I mean, what are we, who are we to even know what an N95 is or a, you know, a KN95 or a surgical mask, or here's, this one is, you know, allergenic, uh, whatever the words are for all these different masks. And so then we got into face shields and, and it turned out that we were meeting a real need in that season. Uh, uh, and that was in tens of thousands of masks that, that God entrusted us with. We bought some, most were given to us from our friends in China, which was just an awesome piece of the journey. Another was a CEO of a health organization that, that God gave us favor with him and he just wanted to help us. So then someone died from COVID, a nurse, a very sweet, uh, gal from the Philippines, um, doing her normal part of your church. Yes. A member of our church. And when that happened, it became a whole new level of personal. And then we had another brother pass away and then you're doing zoom funerals. Now I'm just ticked off a zoom funeral. I mean, this is still, I'm still, I've still not recovered from this and pastor Bruce and others could, you know, tell you their part of this, but it was just so, so tragic to have it happen this way. And then you can't even say goodbye to someone and that's what the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands have gone through. And so New York, you're right, was the epicenter uh, for a long time. And the very hospital where there was the first outbreak is um, we have people who work there. So it, that took a while. And and then little did we know that we would move on to something else, but it's still going on. And I think we have a much better handle. Uh, one of our doctors told me just the other day that, that at the worst point, every, um, Every ICU bed was full and overflowing. And now today it's dropped down like 99 or 98%, whatever the number is. So we're in a much better place. Obviously there's been a lot of quarantining, but I think we've also found better ways to help people to survive, which is good.
1: It's remarkable the turn around there. Obviously um, there's a, there's been just a multifaceted, like you said, Thing happening, I mean, multiple crises. It's it's at times hard to know like what God's up to. You know, I'm like, I'm you don't want to be in the business of pronouncing the mind of God. You know, who knows the mind of God? His ways are higher than our ways, and all that. Um, but at the same time, it's you know when you also <laughs> read the stories of God's intervention in history and nations, it's like, well, this is sound. This is sounded familiar. God's doing something. He's up to something. And of course his plan is to, is to recapture people's hearts. It's to um, it's for his glory to be revealed somehow, but man, there's a lot of pain points that people tend to have to go through, go through first. Um, uh, And so your congregation certainly has experienced all of those. I guess I'll ask, how is your church doing now with, with, with all of it? Like where, how would you describe sort of your your moment here if you're able to do that?
2: Yeah. I, and this is probably similar to a lot of churches in New York city. Um, We are, we are dealing with our many losses, many losses, and I'm sure that's true in Austin, but being involved in Raleigh-Durham, Raleigh-Durham is, is very, is like nothing compared to what happened in New York city, entire industries go out. So Broadway has been out for months now, and it's going to be out for another year. So imagine the broad Broadway industry shut down. So we have many people involved in their profession. Their livelihood comes from Broadway. Then you have all of the tourism shut down. Then you have the athletic uh, situation and and events. All of our event planners, unemployed. So you start working through various industries and you get a sense like 20 to 25%, maybe more, uh, people in our church have lost their jobs. How they're making it, I know some stories have been really supernatural and miraculous. God is in the provision business. He provides for his people and those who have faith. And that does happen. Others have just been going through it. My wife, Lynette, is a a corporate speaker in large settings. Uh, A week um, after the worst part hit, she was scheduled slated to be speaking for a keynote slot, a gateway women's conference, their annual women's conference with thousands of women. And that was gone, all of her speaking engagement, corporate, church, whatever, every one of them gone. So she lost her livelihood. Our family took took a hit there. So we, in which the, the privilege of that, we don't, I don't like that at all, but the privilege of it is we get to identify with so many other people. So we know what that feels like. And we know the adjustments that we've had to make to make ends meet. So losses is the key word. Uh, we, we've lost being able to connect with each other, to hug, to greet one another, as Paul said, with a, with a holy kiss. Um, not that we practice that a whole lot occasionally, but um, it kind of, it kind of, I, I let it happen to me before I make it happen. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so I don't mind it, but it's not my thing. I didn't grow up that way, but most New Yorkers did. That's that's big in the Italian community, and I, I have Italian men. They're just so so loving and affectionate. But you know, these are losses. There's mental yeah. health issues like going through the roof right now. And I can't even imagine the families that have single parents in New York City, in the Bronx and in the boroughs and places where there are not a lot of options, it's breaking our hearts and we're going through it. And as everybody in the nation is, but on the flip side of it, people are meeting Jesus. We've had entire households meet Jesus. We have one of our staff ladies, uh, she is focused completely on Queens and reaching Muslims only. She's a born again Muslim. And five in this COVID season, five Muslims come to Christ and be baptized. Love it. COVID, like so many things, it uncorks things, our need for more, our desire for better. It's like we live in a world that where it's not good anymore. We're not eating at the finest restaurants. We're not going to the Broadway shows. We're not shopping at Saks Fifth Avenue. We're just getting miserable. We're home and getting miserable and realizing that what we have doesn't really work. And so people are awakening to the gospel and it's a great time to share Jesus. Jesus said these words and it resonates so strongly with me to his disciples. Don't say it's four months and then the harvest. The harvest, look, open your eyes, see. The harvest is among us right now. And I'm watching key people on our team and in our churches lead people to Jesus that, who would have never come to Christ had it not been for this disaster that we're all dealing with today. So I'm not in favor of the disaster. I don't think God's the creator of this disaster, but he's certainly using it.
1: That's well put. And thank you for that, that honest look into your church. I mean, and that's just that's life on Earth, isn't it? I mean, there's loss um, and then there's hope. And I think that, you know, we we do. That's that's a church that's incarnated, you know, into its community. I mean, Jesus experiences loss. Um, he loses his father at a young age. He loses his disciple. He's lost, but then there's hope. Um, and, you know, you don't always get to pick how much loss and you don't get to always choose how much hope, but they're, they're both mixed in there. Um, so true. what is it? I'm going to try to take a stab at all. This is an old William Blake poem. Come back to mind, like joy and, and woe are woven fine. Um, I think it's glory of the heart divine, something like that, basically like that, that, that joy and woe are interwoven, um, even in the Christian experience. And I think, um, certainly people on the underside of power and people of color, um, they know, they know a lot about that. And, uh, yeah. sometimes folks who are on top and, you know, and life goes good, you don't always, you don't always get that. And so the Bible rings hollow, it's shallow, it seems trite. Um, and like, again, I'm a little bit, I'm preaching this Sunday, of course, our audience will hear it in, in retrospect, but, um, you know, when Jesus says love one another, that sounds real nice. Like it's a Hallmark card, it's all, man, bumper stickery warm and. It's what you, it's a Sunday school lesson until now, and then it's like, holy cow, that just went from Hallmark card to like impossible. You want me to do what? Um, and, <laughs> and it's, but it's—it's right. it's, it's, it's a crisis that makes that you realize like the the, the Christian faith is is uh, robust. Um, it's got it's got reality baked into it. It doesn't say suffering is like an illusion, like Eastern religion. It doesn't say suffering is meaningless, like. Uh, a- Atheism essentially right. does like point to it. No, it says suffering is very real, um, and yet it can be yes. transformed with hope because we have a suffering Savior. So, and I, that's what I, I'm, I'm saying that because I hear that in your heart, in your voice, in your story from your church. It's the incarnated, you know, body of Christ um, in New York City. You guys have been that for 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 many many years. You know, um, so thank you for that. One more thing, definitely, I, I do want to take a moment to talk about is just your work globally. We, I just would be remiss if I didn't get a chance to talk about that. Um, I appreciate you talking about your wife, Lynette. She is amazing and for our audience in Austin. like She's preached in our church before. Love Lynette. Love Ron and Lynette. I ministered to our singles community a number of years ago. So she is un- incredibly talented. Um, she is one of the greatest speakers to, <laughs> someone you could ever hear. So for Fortune 500 company, she's amazing. Um, so thank you for bringing her. But I did want to just in our time we have left talk about yeah, your work globally, churches how your 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 son is with christ now jordan and kind of how he fits into all that and where you guys are
2: yeah well thanks morgan and again this is really wonderful so we've from early on god put the nations in our heart and as we've matured we we started seeing incredible opportunity after jordan died when he when he died and passed away i was actually in the hotel room where we were there for, to be with the, our family and going through the memorial services and all that. And in the middle of the night, one night, I, I just sat up and I, I heard a clear voice saying, who his mantle? So Jordan's mantle really began in Tanzania, Africa, where he and 10 other young men actually went into and pioneered a birthing clinic, the first ever birthing clinic in an unengaged, unreached people group. Those are two technical terms. And you know what they mean? That means there's no Bibles, no Christians, no churches, no nothing that is gospel related. And they went there, they built this clinic, and then the, they offered the gospel. And they always offered the gospel when they would go to this particular region once a year, and they never had any response. But this time, uh, my son Jordan was the first to volunteer. He went out, he preached. And several of the Tanzanian um, from this tribe, several turned to Jesus and they started organizing a church. And the, the, the first place where they started meeting was in the birthing center on Sundays. I guess it was Sundays. I'm not sure when, but they started using that as that was their first church. So it was all poetic in a sense and beautiful. And um, and then that began to grow and multiply and. And, and then because of Jordan's passing, one of the things that happened was that um, people started sending so many flowers from all over the world. And finally, our his wife, Katie, and our sons and Jordan's friends, they all began to say, we, please tell people to stop sending flowers. Uh, we, we don't even have time to open them. But would you please just consider sending a gift to this ORU missions department? And so people began to do that. It was a very quick transition. Uh, several thousand dollars were given from some very well-known uh, Christian leaders and people were generous. And And then three or four months later, the CFO and the and the, also the um, chief, uh, well, several of the C-suite, but then there's the chief legal counsel. They met with me and they said, uh, these are the, of, of Oral Roberts University, because that was the organization that Jordan went with originally. And they said, can you please take this 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 fund, we can't do anything with it. We have a conflict from the State Department. We can't send money where we are not allowed to go. And please take this, because this fund would be dedicated to reaching the unengaged, unreached around the world. So to make a long story short, um, that fund came, it was about eight or nine thousand dollars, and that has grown into one and a half million. And there's been more than five or than 5,500 churches started in about 15 nations uh, amongst the completely unreached. All of those are a story to be told, that, and that represents tens of thousands of lost people who've come to Jesus. It makes us so happy. We, it's, a, it's a weird world that we live in because this. on the one hand, we'd rather have Jordan back than be yes. managing or stewarding uh, a, a ministry, but at the same time, when you look at it from eternity... Like Jordan's life still counts and still matters. And Jordan laid a, a seed that is now has taken off all over the world. How does God use this? It's the verse that Lynette keeps quoting is that when you plant a seed, you know, and it dies, it doesn't abide alone, but it brings forth great fruit. And that's what's happened with Jordan Lewis Mission. So we're now, our latest project, our biggest one has been in Pakistan. And uh that is a story I get literally on tap. I literally get a story, an image, or a video every single day i I joke with my wife Lynette i said I said, the leader in Pakistan, this Pakistanian young man who's become my spiritual son, I said he now communicates to me more than you do. Are you jealous <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, incredible. that's the biggest one but the the great news now is that we we are for the first time ever. Pastor Morgan uh, and Nathan, we are involved in something I've never been involved with as a Christian. We've given to just about everything, every cause, every you know, whether it's fighting sex slavery or planting churches or whatever we're giving to orphans, whatever. Uh, But I'd never been involved in a Bible translation. So right now, one of the remaining three thousand languages, thirty-one hundred languages, that does has no Bible. Has been assigned to us, and the very assignment is the place where Jordan started this church that now has 25 churches, but they have no scripture. And because mm. that one came out in Illuminations Bible, these are the greatest scholars and the greatest organization in the world for Bible translation purposes. Mm. So we're working with them, partnering with them, raising enough money to give that tribe a New Testament. It's wow.
1: incredible. <laughs> that is, I, just, I think I'm. I don't even know what you say to that. $8,000 in a heart for Christ is a million plus, thousands of churches, reaching unreached people, groups, Bible translation. Uh, It's just, it's remarkable. Um, And it's when you feel like, you know, not that I've been a part of something like that, but at other moments you feel like God's just doing something. He's chosen to do something in the world. And he's just allowing me to kind of ride the coattails of it and using my little contribution. And when you hear a story exactly. like this, like it's just more, it's more than you could ever ask or imagine, right? Ephesians three twenty. Um, and so thank you for sharing that with us. I just, I know we're, we're about to wrap up here just a couple more minutes. I just want to affirm and, and just point out something that I just love about you. And I've always loved about you. And then I think it's, it's a real gift for our every nation world and for our church. It's meant a lot to me personally is just, I guess I'll put it like this. It's just your your holistic approach to gospel ministry. I mean, you just named a bunch of stuff there. I mean, your concern for people coming to Christ, um, being, being converted, following Jesus, the Messiah. You just see that in your story. Um, it's a, it's, and then your, your advocacy for, for women, um, through especially through sex traff- people women who have been sex trafficked. Of course, that's men and women, boys and girls, but it disproportionately affects young women. So you, yeah. you guys are always there starting stop child trafficking and all the all the, the marches and the money and the awareness that you guys have done. Uh, church planning that you've done, Bible translation, uh, racial reconciliation, justice work. I mean, it's just you just see the 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 flowering of, I think, a good, good bit of not all of the Christ's intent. Uh, for the gospel to be planted. So I just want to thank you for that, affirm you for that. Thank you for standing, for embracing those tensions because those aren't always necessarily reflected or expressed in the evangelical community. They are increasingly, thankfully, but it's because of your your pioneering work there. So thank you for that. Um, and thank you just, I think, as I was hearing you, know, last verse here comes to mind, Ephesians 6, like having done everything, and Paul just says stand. So if you knew nothing else, you can't do anything else, just keep on standing up. Mm. <laughs> so good. Like good like thanks, Paul. Good luck with that. You know, but he gives us some help, honor God, all that. But just having done everything, you stand. And I think that's what you've done. You've stood, uh, in, in through your divorce, you've stood into your new life, you've stood through your son's passing, you've stood through planning churches, you've stood through nine eleven, you've stood through COVID. So thank you for that and for living out um Paul's words. You're real inspiration for, for for me and for our church. So
2: appreciate you. Sure love you guys. You guys are great people, great Church, you have one of the most outstanding wives on the planet, and um, she's a funny woman and a great author too. And I remember when Lynette was reading her book, she would just sit there. And, and Lynette's not; she will read a lot, but she doesn't get really excited about most of the books she reads. And she has to read a lot for you know signing off and endorsing and whatever. But she was reading Carrie's book, and she was just flipping out and would read passages and tell me stories. So you guys have made an impact. Thank you. As well. I'm honored to know you and stand with you, my brother. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you, Pastor Ron.
0: Well, no surprise here, Pastor Morgan, you made a great guest host today. We really appreciate you jumping in and facilitating this conversation. Ron, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I have really enjoyed just being a fly on the wall here for this episode, and it was awesome to hear the stories and to hear the ministry that's just poured out of your life. So I echo what Pastor Morgan said. Thank you for all of your hard work and your labor on behalf of the gospel. It is evident and it is inspiring. So we really appreciate you sharing your life and your stories with us today. Thank you so much for being with us on Tuesdays, R for talking. You guys have a great day.
1: Thank you, Nathan. Thank you, Pastor Ron. You guys are great. Thanks.
0: Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Tuesdays Are For Talking. For more information about how to get and stay connected to us, head over to mosaicchurchaustin.com and be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We hope you'll make plans to join us next week.